welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Do you know what it's like to be grounded in gratitude? Welcome to episode number 76. Today, I'm talking to my old buddy, Chris Cabot. He's an entertainment attorney, sports agent, and president of the Steinberg Sports Agency. Now, he comes from humble beginnings in Philadelphia. I mean, he went from working for free as an intern for three years all the way to signing the biggest deal in sports history for the great Patrick Mahomes. We're going to talk about how he stays grounded even though his life is in the air. It's planes, trains, automobiles. He's constantly moving. He is a busy dude in a crazy business. We're going to talk about his morning routine, how the Bible plays a factor, and an incident where God spoke to him when he was only 14 years old. So grab yourself a cup of tea, sit down, or lay down and relax. And let's begin. Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here, man. Now, you're the busiest person I know. How do you manage all this, Chris? You're not just a sports agent, not just an attorney. You're also the president of a sports agency. Right. Uh, it's, this, is, this is busy stuff. Right. So, I, I mean, listen, you and I go way, 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 way back. And it's, it's a blessing, first of all, to be on here with you. Second, you know, I'm so proud of, of everything that you've done, all the lives that you've touched, all the things that are happening you know, for you, with you. So the greatest treasures in my life have always been the people that God's put in my life. And, and I'm thankful, bro, that, you know, here we are 15 years later, we're still rocking. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I'm at my best when I pray, I meditate and I work out. Mm. If I can, if I can hit those three on a daily, you know, that, that really works well. And if I can hit those three to start the day, um, it, the day just really unfolds in a good natural way. Mm. And I, in a perfect world, I like to wake up about 5 a.m., 6 a.m., read the Bible, um, pray, meditate. You know, my, my prayers are based in gratitude. My meditation is based in affirmation. Mm. Um, and then a, a workouts, 30 minutes to an hour. Try to do some cardio, try to do some strength work, and try to eat right, man. How often are you on a plane? Frequently, um, over the last two years, I've spent over over 500 days on the road. Um, the last two years in this pandemic, I've been on 90 flights since March 13th. Hmm. But I mean that you know that's an interesting thing. I grew up I grew up as a kid, um, kind of nomadic, and it, it, some people move around a lot with the military. I, I never did that, but my mom and dad were, were uh, I should say, are just amazing people. Um, we were very financially stricken. We couldn't afford much. 
Uh, one of, so there were kind of two extracurricular activities I had. One was track and field because it didn't cost anything. Mm. Um, the second was, was Boy Scouts. And one of the great things about Boy Scouts when I was a kid, I was in a, a really active troop that did a lot of trap, did a lot of uh, high adventure. So we would do every summer, and it was for like a week, we would do these canoe trips or these backpacking trips or whatever. And essentially every day you were picking up where you lived, putting it on your back, transporting it and settling it down the next day or next night. And I think for me, I just always, I learned early that home is wherever you settle. So for me, getting on the planes, I've been a big deal. And I tend to, t- tend to travel extremely light. So that helps too when you aren't checking in luggage, travel, and you're by yourself, travel becomes much more luxurious. But um, yeah, I've never had a problem with that. It's never been an issue and you know, long answer to a short question, but it's just how we felt natural to me. So if, if you get an opportunity, will you read the Bible or do meditation on the plane? I have. I have. Well, just, get, have. just get it where you can, right? Yeah. I, I've prayed the beginning of my prayers and the same prayer since I was 12 years old. And that was just without going to like a whole long thing, although I'm happy to go into it. Um, I got invited one night to go on this overnight, um, like Christian youth group bowling thing, like youth group night. And my parents, my parents, I was raised Catholic. My mom and dad went to church on Sunday and that felt more like tradition than anything. Uh, Not as much religion, but more tradition. And I, I remember going on this trip and my dad, the the legendary pimp Don C, he's so, he is, (laughs) he was so protective I remember he got on this bus, he kind of looked around, he was like, all right, I guess this is legit. But I remember that night seeing these kids running around and everything like that, and you know, they were real deep in their faith, and there was just an energy about them that was different. And that was the first time I think I saw the joy of Jesus, the power of God. And then in, in my four, when I was 14, I heard the voice of God for the first time in my life. But I, I just kind of noticed earlier, you know, there's something different about these kids. They have something different going on. So I say that because of the youth group is called action. And when I pray, I always say to God, thank you for coming to my heart that, that one special night at action. And then it goes on to a lot of gratitude, but I can, I can do that pretty much anywhere. I can do that prayer pretty much anywhere. It's best when I do it at home. Um, and I find that, that reading the Bible is also best when it's quiet. And I find that um, meditation is also best when it's quiet. So I can do that stuff on a plane, but I kind of prefer to do it at home, just in like a quiet, in a quiet space, quiet sure. time. Yeah. Um, by the way, too, just want to talk about reading the Bible. So I've, I've always been faith-based, kind of experienced the first time when I was 12, grew up traditional in, in Catholicism, like I talked about when I was 14, experienced the voice of God for the first time. And I've, I've heard that conscience speak to me throughout my life. Mm. But it, last year I turned 40 and I had a moment where I was like, you know what, man, you're a hypocrite. Mm. you've talked faith throughout your life but you've never read the word Mm. and I had never read the bible from cover to cover so I've been reading it from cover to cover um, in doses you know daily doses and it's been a very rewarding experience for me right on yeah of course what was this experience like when you were 14 sure so my, my dad was an artist drawing painting and photography and 
he couldn't monetize his craft. So he worked in the steel mill. He traded hours for dollars. Mm. And when you work in steel, you have a lot of strikes, labor disputes, things like that. And one night it was a hot, humid summer night in Pennsylvania. And I was staring out the window. My mom and dad were downstairs fussing a little bit, stressed out. We were 90 days into a strike. We felt we were going to lose our home. Mm. I was rocking 14 slim jeans that were so tight I couldn't zip them. Uh, we couldn't afford new clothes. I couldn't afford shorts. I was wearing these jeans. And I, when guys in the 90s used to rock long white tees, I think I started that trend because I had zippers that didn't zip. So I would wear hand-me-ups or hand-me-down long tees. Hand-me-downs are when it's an older relative. Hand-me-ups are when you have a neighbor who's younger than you but taller. Mm. So uh, I would get the hand-me-ups too. But, um, and, and my mom and, dad's, mom and dad were downstairs fussing and, you know, just stressed out. Nothing feels more anything crazy. And my parents are amazing, very, uh, very deep in their love, married 50 plus years. But uh, things seemed dim, man. I was standing out the window and just had this resounding instruction that said, help people make a difference. And I, and I heard that clearly. Mm. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's real. And throughout the rest of my life, I always kind of followed that. And when, think, when I followed that, things always worked. So that was the first time that I can remember hearing that. Yeah. And you're in such a crazy world. Like show I tell I did an episode on this podcast called Showbiz is a Monster. <laughs> and Showbiz is the umbrella of the whole entertainment world, right? And then sports and music and, you know, acting, it would all kind of fall under that umbrella. And you've been involved with this behind the scenes stuff as an attorney for a long time. Uh, next month will mark 15 years since I, I took the bar out of law school and passed the bar and it went by fast. And it, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a crazy journey, um, but I'm, I'm totally thankful, man. So how does someone go from an, an entertainment attorney in Philadelphia to securing the biggest deal in sports history? <laughs> well, let's take it even further back, man. Um, grew up on a dirt road with a dirt driveway. Um, our west of Philadelphia, two amazing parents. Yeah. Don and Sandy Cabot that did everything they could to sacrifice to give their children best opportunity in life. So 14, help others make a difference. I thought to myself, how can I do that? I thought I could do it as an attorney. We didn't have any attorneys in my family. That's, you know, we had folks on the other side of the law. So attorneys seemed like a foreign deal. But, um, you know, my idea of an attorney was people had problems. They went to see the attorney. The attorney snapped their fingers, clapped their hands and fixed it. And that's obviously law is more complex than that, but it was a very pure intention. And I mentioned I ran, I ran cross country and track because uh, it didn't cost anything. The Lord gave me a bony right leg and a bony left leg and I put one in front of the other and I went. And the harder I worked, the better I got. And I found a pureness in that. And um, I thought combining all that, how can I help others and make a difference? And I thought I could do it as an attorney working folks of God-given talent like my dad. And I always found that the harder I worked in, in athletics, the better I got. And then something interesting too, not being able to afford much growing up, never went to a game, never had cable football, cable football, cable TV or anything like that. So my, my big luxury item early was the radio. Mm. And growing up outside of Philly, I remember being a kid and late at night, I would listen to like Power 99 
and uh, Tony Brown, the chocolate sound and everything like that, the quiet storm and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And that was, that was me. That was my big impression. I think I was, when I was 15, I, I got a TV for the first time. And that, and I think later that year, I got a, a CD player. My first CD was, um, was Shaba Ranks and then Al Green yeah. and, and um, you know, Jodeci. I thought I was the fourth member of Jodeci growing up. And, and basically, like, I emulated kind of what I heard and saw on the radio. So I always had a deep passion for, for music that way. And I saw it as a gift of God. And again, my dad being as talented as he was, but not being able to monetize, I had a great appreciation. So I think for me, I was, I was never really a fan. I was an advocate. Hmm. Um, I was an appreciator of talent. So you take all that and then go to college. LaSalle University, North Philly gave me the most money to get to start college, work three jobs to get through, took a year off, worked three jobs to save money, started law school, took work three jobs to get through. Um, but I was blessed. And, uh, my professional father, a man I will always have the greatest debt of gratitude to, Lloyd Remick, um, who is very successful in Entertainment attorney in Philadelphia, Lloyd is, is very young and spry in his 80s. He was 65 when I met him. I was 23. And he gave me an opportunity to intern and learn. And I worked for free for three years. And then, um, wow. you know, he turned me loose. He turned me loose. Say, say that again. You worked for free for three years. I worked for free for three years. Yeah, interning. And you know what, Kevin? I didn't care. I didn't care because I was doing what I wanted to do with my life. I was bartending on the weekends and, and a couple nights a week, laying stone, um, doing everything I could to make money. And I was there to learn. I didn't care about the money. I was there to learn. And I knew if I learned that skill, that trait, that trade, I would eventually catch up financially. So, you know, Lloyd gave me such an incredible platform, taught me everything. I'm an amazing teacher mm. in, in addition to everything else, but I'd, I'd work. And then I'd show up to New York to meet with A&R people or go to A&R Power Summit, stuff like that. Uh, I'd go to film festivals. And I was just a really eager guy that was going after it. And um, I started to represent some sports folks that were involved in entertainment. Uh, Jimmy Rollins, one of my best friends, was the MVP of pro baseball with the Phillies, um, then with the Dodgers. And he had a, a record company. And I started doing the... The, I started doing the, um, the legal work on that. Mm. And I kind of quickly realized that he was better investing in copyrights and songs as opposed to copyrights and recordings because of the life of the copyrights of lifetime plus 70 years of the writers and would be a longstanding asset and help some people and kind of win-win. And, you know, he and I built a great relationship and, and I watched his career and I watched his agent, Dan Lozano, who an amazing agent in the baseball world. And I thought, you know, if God wants me to help others make a difference, I could probably do it more proactively as an agent. Mm. So start an agency from scratch outside of Philly or, and uh, build it, grew it in 2013, expanded the West Coast. was introduced to Lee Steinberg, who is another great mentor in my life. Um, and I was brought on as a consultant to work with the, uh, the rebuild of Steinberg Sports in 2014. And it's just been a, a blessing ever since. And, um, you know, was promoted a number of times. And, and now I'm the president of the company, as you mentioned, and being able to work with some great athletes and great families and 
you know, that's a long, long answer. But here's the thing that I bring all the way back to. What I'm doing today is what I was doing 10 years ago and what I was hearing when I was 14, trying to help others to make a difference in their lives. And I think for me, really what I am these days is a career manager, trying to help folks of God-given talent make the most of their opportunities on and off the field. And, uh, you know, it's been a great blessing. And for those listening that don't know, Lee Steinberg is a famous agent who inspired the movie Jerry Maguire. (laughs) He is one of the subjects of the film. Yeah. So... Here you are just recently, a few months ago, and your your biggest client, Patrick Mahomes, you guys secured the biggest contract in sports history. Obviously a big deal for Patrick, but also a big deal for you and Mr. Steinberg. What's that day feel like? Everything signed. Is that like frosting on your career cake, like how do you continue going on after you secured the the biggest deal in sports history? For me, it was just, I was proud. I was proud of Patrick. He is a special, special man. He's a great communicator. He's a great leader. He's a great teammate. He's a great friend. You know, his best friends when he was in third grade are his best friends today. That's something that I totally, he and I are totally aligned that way. My best friends today were my best friends 25 years ago in Coatesville growing up. Um, He's just a very real person, a very genuine soul. He's very special that way. And and I'm just so proud of him. You know, he's, he's done everything that you could ask of someone and more works incredibly hard. You know, I, when he was going through the draft, he, in 2017, he had a broken wrist and he had surgery on it, and there were a limited amount of days before the combine. And a big part of his preparation was, was footwork, doing a lot of footwork. And we, we had to do 30 minutes of footwork a day. And um, got up with me one morning at like 4.30 in the morning to go to a gym outside of Houston where the Super Bowl was to do footwork. And I mean, that just describes the type of guy that he is. He gives it all. He works incredibly hard. So I was just proud of him. For me, um, I've, I've never thought of it as a personal moment. Mm. For me, I'm, it's helping others making a difference. So more than anything, just proud of him. And something else I was happy about is that the people in the picture of when everything was signed were the same people that were in the picture in Lubbock, Texas in late 2016, early 2017, when he joined our family. Um, His mother, Randy Mahomes, is one of the most charming people I've ever met. His father, Pat Mahomes, who had a decorated career in Major League Baseball, is one of the most respectful, polite people I've ever met. His fiance, Brittany Matthews, is a true partner, um, an amazing woman who is is truly just aligned with with her fiance, husband-to-be, and is the type of partner that every every human should only have. So a uh, special group, his brother Jackson, really good, really good young man. I sound like I'm 107 years old saying that, but I've known Jack since he was 16. <laughs> right. I'm so proud of him. But uh, great folks, man. That's really great folks. Just a really divine, God-fearing, great family. And you guys signed also another 
rookie potential superstar quarterback in Tua. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tua Tungabalawa has an aura about him. I mean, you literally feel him. You literally feel him. You feel his faith. You feel his belief in God. You feel his positive energy. You feel his positive vibes. Um, I mean, he is, he is a special, special human. Mom and dad, Diane and, and, and Nalu Tungabalawa are, are just amazing parents. Incredible, incredible people. And prophecy is such a big part of Samoan culture. His grandfather had a prophecy mm-hmm. about Tua that the world would know his name one day. And um, I mean, that's a, that's, a heavy, that's a heavy thing to lay on mom and dad. Mm-hmm. They did an amazing job with him and, and an amazing job with uh, his sisters and his brother, Talia, just really special folks. They, I'm, I'm a better human because of my experience with that family. Yeah, I notice a, a, a theme throughout everything, and that's gratitude. And then, would you say that's one of the core principles to get through this existence with happiness and success? Man, because um, gratitude does yeah. there, there's an energy to it right. that right. you you could feel it go right up your spine. That's right. No, that's right. The I know this book and this movie are, are, you know, a lot of people talk about it, so it may sound trite, but the, the book, The Secret, the movie, The Secret, you know, mm-hmm. obviously it's about the laws of attraction. And they say that gratitude is the, the greatest generator in the universe and the law of attraction. And the more you say thank you, for, thank you the more you have to be thankful for. And, and you re, if you read that book, I mean, literally it'll talk about when you walk with your left foot, say thank, with your right foot, say you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and I believe that. And I believe that. And, you know, I will be the first to tell you that as my life has gotten busier, my gratitude has not ceased. But the, the moments that I express that gratitude internally, not so much outward. I, I, I like to think that if, if someone knows me, they know I'm genuine, that I care. Uh, I'm very appreciative of people. I try to always express that. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, I'm a fiery guy from the East Coast, and you know sometimes, uh, sometimes I, I need to apologize. My intentions are always good, but it, maybe I come across a little East Coast intense, and I got to apologize for it later. <laughs> um, gotten better than I like to think as I've gotten older. But the you talk about happiness, and I think happiness is always an internal thing. And I notice when I'm practicing that gratitude, when I'm practicing some of those tools and laws of attraction, the thank yous and things like that, that I, I'm happier, you know, I'm, I'm happier. And when the moments, if I ever get down, you know, we all have those moments, I kind of have to slap myself in the face for a second and say, Hey man, you know, you've got, you've got first world problems. I mean, you want to go see some people with some problems, go to children's hospital. Mm. There's some real stuff going on in the world. Like mm. You have no reason to be down or upset. So and in those moments, I feel like I definitely ground myself again with, with gratitude. So yeah. it's a big, it's a big thing, man. Being in the sports world, what was that day like when you heard about what happened to Kobe Bryant? But, you know, that's interesting, man. That's really interesting because I, where I grew up out in Pennsylvania, Kobe was a year ahead of me and Rip Hamilton, Richard Hamilton, who went to UConn. Yeah. Now we're taking it back. Uh, played for the Pistons and, and some other teams in the NBA, but we went to high school together. Rip was a year ahead of me. And um, 
Kobe's Lower Marion High School in Coatesville, Rips, you know, our high school, but Rips team used to square off against each other in, uh, you know, in the high school basketball playoffs almost every year. And, and there was a great rivalry there. Kobe was a special young player for sure. So from a distance locally, I watched him grow, watch his career. I am embarrassed, but I'm honest to tell you that I've worked so much and so hard the last 15 years that I wasn't able to consume as much of Kobe's games as I would like to have said I watched. But through social media, I think I became more of a consumer of Kobe the philosopher yeah. and the mama mentality and, and things like that. And I, I found similarities in that. <laughs> I'm not the, the Hall of Famer to be that, that Kobe Bryant, you know, is or the NBA champion or anything like that. But, you know, I, I like to think I'm a guy who attacks every day. I always say to people, if you cut off my legs, I'll walk on my hands. If you cut off my arms, I'll roll on my torso. If you cut off my torso, I'll roll on my head. If you squash my head, my spirit will haunt you. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and I know Kobe saw the world that way too. And I think when I heard of his death, first I was deeply saddened for his family. Um, you know, and obviously his daughter's death. I mean, that's just heart-wrenching. But I think more than anything, it inspired. Um, when Nipsey Hussle passed, the, the coin phrase in the marathon continues, it inspires us to do more. When, when Kobe passed, it inspires us to do more. And I, I saw Alan Iverson's words, you know, who if you grew up in Philadelphia, you're a blue collar type person, you respect the hustlers on the field and on the court, Alan Iverson, Chase Utley, um, you know, the Broad Street Bullies, the Flyers back in the day, the, uh, you know, the, the Reggie Whites of the world, the Seth Joyners of the world on the Eagles. But AI talked about the first time he was in LA, I guess he reached out to Kobe and they got together and I guess they had a bite and before the game. And they said, you know, Kobe said to AI, what are you doing after the game? And he was like, Kobe, it's, it's LA, man. I'm going to the club. What are you doing? He was like, I'm going back to the gym. <laughs> and get, you know where you'll find me? You'll find me in the gym. And uh, it just inspires me. You know, Kobe inspired us all. It breaks my heart that he, that he passed because I think he would have had an opportunity to do more within our society, mm. um, you know, as he got older. So definitely a big loss. But what he did while he was with us will certainly not be lost on us and will make us all better. Yeah, it shook up the world, I guess you could say. Because he was uh, he was an international name icon. Well, I'll tell you this too, man. Going back to Patrick, I know that he's received that deeply as far as that, that Mamba mentality, that leadership, that awe-inspiring means. And I think he's going to be one of our guys that, when I say our guys, I mean the world, mm. I mean society. One of and the folks that really carries that torch. Right. So the Patrick Mahomes contract is what? Is that 10 years, is it? 10-year extension, 12 years total. Okay, 10 years. Probably going to play a few more years even after that. So how much further do you want to go as a career guy? Like, can you see yourself going this hard at 60 years old? Or 
at some point does Chris Cabot fall back and uh, buy some land somewhere? Yeah. Well, man, I, I, I pray I live to a hundred. That's actually a goal of mine. Um, and, and when I look at that at 41, I'm, I'm just 40% of the way through. And I, I definitely see a switch over in, in many years to come where I want to take this same ferocious approach to, to society. Um, you will see me get involved in, in public service. What the role or the title is, I don't know. That's much later in my life. But I know this, when I go to my grave one day, I want to say I know. I want to say I gave back as much as I could. I made a great of a difference, as great of a difference as I can in humanity, in society. And um, you know, when I, Kevin, when I when I look around and I think about things, um, I am a pretty apolitical guy. I see issues, and I I try to think of solutions. And when I when I look at global warming. That's a real thing. Um, I know that there's a political spin on stuff like that, but when ice caps are melting and things like that, and water is rising and temperatures are rising and storms are what they are, I'm not saying that it's the first time in history that's happened. Of course not. We had an ice age. We had many things. We've had drought, whatnot. But the reality of it is, is that that's in, it's going to greatly impact our future. I. I want to be able to say before I meet my maker that I did something to work on that. When I look at our food stamp and uh, at our program, our unemployment programs, things like that, the one of the things about this country that I love is that it's broken into municipalities. And there's no reason that we can't have organic farms in every municipality where those who need food get food from the organic farms mm. and those that need work get, get to work there and you're generating money and you're generating wellness and nutrition. And so now I'm starting to dip into your world, which you're a far greater expert in, but you know, the reality of it is our healthcare industry is not healthcare, it's sick, mm -hmm. sickness, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously if, if health is based in nutrition and we're giving people better nutrition, now we're working on their health and it, it really becomes healthcare. So I, when I see that, I think about how can I, aid that. When I look at drought in this country, in this world, I think to myself, we have, we have planes that can literally transport aircraft carriers. Mm -hmm. So how can, how can we not have tubs that trap lake effect snow and trap, you know, precipitation in, in areas that get a lot of it and then transport that to existing bodies of water or existing land where there's drought, whether it's in Southern California or it's Australia or wherever it may be. You know, I, I think if we come together as, as a global world and recognize that and work together, we can. Um, when I see strife in the world, when I see hatred in the world, when I see people fighting over land, I think to myself, let me get a crack at that. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually you will see that, that turnover. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm, I'm blessed that I'm in a great personal relationship as well that, you know, I think in the years to come, I'll be having some kids and I look forward to that stage of my life. And, you know, that, that means a lot to me as well. So 
there's, there's still a lot to do, man. And uh, I pray that, that God gives me the health and I obviously have to do my part, you know, to see that and to live that. Right on. Well, it's going to be a pleasure watching the, the, the journey continue. Uh, we're the same age. I, I think we met about 15, 16 years ago yeah. at the New England Music Seminar. New England Music Seminar, man. I, I always look forward to that every year. Great yeah. people. Um, you, big man, June Archer. Yeah. You know, just awesome folks. Yeah. And so I, I'm happy to have seen this evolution. Right back at you, man. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll do one of these once a year or something and see. I love it. I love it, man. <laughs> you, know, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of you, big believer in you, always has been, always will be. Um, you know, whether it was everything you're doing on the radio, in music and whatnot, and, you know, everything obviously you, you've done in health and wellness. I mean, you're a big inspiration. Man. Thank you. And, hey, some of those health things, you know, maybe we can figure out because uh, – I'm actually uh, restructuring the nonprofit organization. It's going to be called the Health is Priority Foundation. Hmm. Come 2021. That's in the name right there, baby. The Health is Priority Foundation. And that leaves a big umbrella for a lot of things. Yep. Because uh, people need to put that health as priority at some point. Yep. And the, the pandemic is... Yeah, sure. Woke a lot of people up, I think, so. I think so. All right, Chris. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for the time. No, the pleasure's mine, man. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a blessing. And like I said, man, you've always been one of the most real, genuine people I know. And I'm thankful that here we are still rocking together 15 years later, man. If you would like to see the video version of this amazing interview, it will be available on my private Patreon page. You can subscribe, become a member, and not only get all sorts of bonus material, but you'll be able to speak to me and ask me questions. All proceeds go to this podcast, keeping the microphone on, keeping the lights on, and helping us to promote and get an advertising budget going. Because more people need to hear this interview with Chris Cabot. And more people need to hear Santos Bonacci, Dr. Robert Morris, Michael Cremo, Cody Ann Smith, Don Miguel Ruiz, and the list goes on. We're looking to expand, and we want to do it with you. You can download the Patreon app and find me on patreon.com slash Reese. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.